0: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Podzone Country, the politics podcast from the Yorkshire Post. My name is Caitlin Doherty and I am your Westminster correspondent. This week our social affairs correspondent Vic Finnan has spoken to Carl Les, the leader of North Yorkshire Council, following the announcement that councils across the north of Yorkshire will be combined into one authority in another huge local government decision for Yorkshire. You'll be able to hear that interview in full this episode. But first, just another little reminder of what's happened this week. Politics is quiet in August. It is every year. But just like clockwork, there is always one week when headlines are filled with analysis on the GCSE and A-level results. And this year has been no different. The A-level results were announced on Tuesday and the GCSE results were announced on Thursday following the second year of exams that had been cancelled as a result of the pandemic. The figures this year have shown glaring attainment gaps between state and private schools, but also along the north-south divide. For example, nationally, almost 45% of A-level entries were awarded an A or an A-star grade. However, in London, this figure sat at 48%, whereas in Yorkshire and the Humber, it was 41%. And in the north of England, Only 39% of entries achieve these top grades. With the government having promised to level up the nation, it will be really interesting to see how these disparities are challenged in the months and years ahead, as education, just like every other sector across the country, begins its recovery from the pandemic. As always, the Yorkshire Post will continue to keep you up to date. And for now, I will leave you in Vic's capable hands. Hello, I'm Victoria Finan
1: and I'm the social affairs correspondent at the Yorkshire Post. It's been a big few weeks for North Yorkshire County Council recently. For months, the council has been waiting for the government's decision on its restructure, which could eventually lead to extra devolved powers in the region, Uh, similar to what we've seen previously in West Yorkshire and Manchester. The decision has now been taken to abolish the seven smaller district councils, which are Selby, Scarborough, Harrogate, Hambleton, Richmond, Rydale and Craven, to create one larger unitary authority that will serve some 600,000 people, which was going to make it one of the biggest in the country. Now, many people might shrug and say, what's the difference as long as my bins get collected on the same day and I pay the same amount of council tax? But I'm joined today by Carl Les, who is the leader of North Yorkshire County Council, who's going to explain what this is going to mean for the region. Welcome to the podcast, Carl. Good morning. It's been a big week, a big few weeks for North Yorkshire. Uh, Talk me through what's been going on.
2: Right. Uh, Well, some time ago, um, the government, in discussing devolution, uh, the the devolution of powers from Whitehall, down to to County Hall. Um, They had made a request of us in North Yorkshire, the seven districts and the County Council to actually consider um, local government reorganization, uh, simplifying local government from the present two tiers system. That request uh, became a requirement. Um, So we had to start working on uh, developing a, a proposal that uh, would allow us to uh, to do just that—to remove the present two tiers and replace it with a single tier of government, which is uh, the, the it's it's what happens in a lot of other parts of the country. So it's nothing uh, nothing revolutionary. It's just di- uh, very different. So we started preparing our proposal. We thought that we had a strong proposal. We wrote it ourselves. Um, just got some consultants in to double check our. Uh, our arithmetic and our assumptions to make sure that we weren't putting forward something that was unrealistic uh, but we wrote it with our professional people who actually have been delivering those services uh, 80% by value of the services local government services in North Yorkshire since 1974 so we felt that we had a good track record of understanding what what worked and what was uh, good and what was of benefit to our our residents and uh, and our businesses so we developed it as i say we thought it was a strong proposal the district councils developed another one which they called the east west split uh, which i have to say um, we didn't um, we didn't support at all because it was splitting up the county council services into two um, it was moving headquarters into uh, into two areas and it was also annexing the city of york council against the wishes of the uh, of the York councillors. Um, so rather a shotgun uh, marriage that um, was always going to be fraught with difficulty if it went ahead. Uh, so as a, it's a very long, long answer, I'm sorry, uh, Victor, to, the, to your, your short question. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we, we did all that. We put forward the proposal. It was up to the Secretary of State to decide. And the Secretary of State has decided that our proposal, um, and we've seen the Uh, calculations that the government have done on our proposal, our proposal was seen to be uh, by far the better proposal put forward and so that is what the uh, Minister intends to enact through Parliament in the course of the next few months.
1: And obviously now we're going to be moving to this much larger unitary authority that's going to serve um, across the whole of North Yorkshire. What do you see are the key advantages that that is going to bring to ordinary people across the region?
2: Well, I just need to remind you that, that actually we've been delivering 80% of those services since 1974 anyway on that footprint. Mm-hmm. So in that respect, it's not a new huge authority. North Yorkshire is already a large authority delivering uh, a large amount of services across that footprint. What is going to happen now is that we will, the new authority, because it is a new authority, it's not uh, It's not the county council taking over, it's a new authority based on the county mm. council boundaries, um, th- that new authority will do all services, um, including the services, and we've never criticised our district council colleagues for the services that they've delivered, but what will be different, mm. and I think in your introduction you said well, in what difference will it make to... Um, the residents well actually there won 't be a lot of difference at the at the point of delivery. you know our social workers are still going to be doing the job that they do. Our um, highways maintenance people are still going to be mending potholes, and the district council um, employees presently will still be emptying the bins, still be running leisure centers, still be doing planning applications and the like it 's just that it all comes together in one authority rather than eight, and I know from my business experience that you know, if you have duplication, you have increased cost or you have an unnecessary cost. So we will be able to take cost out of the organisation. And I think that will be of benefit to protecting services going forward. Um, And there will be less confusion. You know, how many times have you heard people say, well, I wonder which council to contact then? You know, I've got a problem, but who do I, who do I ring? Well, with this, you ring one number, you ring one council, you contact one council. Um, and I just think it's it's so much more um, efficient.
1: Hmm. Now, you touched on this earlier, Carl, but the district councils, with the exception, I believe, of Hambleton District Council, did put up an opposing um, proposal for how they wanted the new unitary authority to work. So they talked about splitting Yorkshire down North Yorkshire down to East and West, so you would have had York, Scarborough and Selby and Rydale on one side, and Hambleton, Harrogate, Craven, um, I think I've missed one out, Richmond, on the other side. Um, obviously, the decision was made that that proposal had been rejected. How do you, from a county council level, propose to work with district councillors who perhaps are feeling very disappointed around that perhaps may even be considering challenging that decision
2: well i would hope that um, nobody will challenge the decision because we can't nobody can challenge the actual decision that the government has made you can only challenge the way that the government actually made that decision so you could have a judicial review into the process but actually you know i think the government did follow all the uh, the guidelines that they set down that they would consider as part of that process, but it is the it, it we have to accept. It is the right of a a a, um, a district council that is aggrieved with the decision that they could do a judicial review into the process. But I think that judicial review would fail mm-hmm. because I think the government have followed the rules that they uh, that they set down. You're right though that we have to work together, and I've been at great pains. Uh, to reassure ministers and our MPs, five of whom actually supported our our proposal. Um, So I've been at great pains to reassure them and the community at large that we will work together. The county council officers and uh, members will work with our district council colleagues to develop the smoothest transition possible from the seven districts and the county council to the new unitary authority. And I have to keep stressing it is a new authority. It is not a county council takeover. Uh, but, you know, we wrote the winning proposal. So I think it would be rather perverse if the things that we put in that proposal are not the things that are then recommended through to the, um, to the new authority to take on. But at the end of the day, it will be for the new authority to decide exactly how it's going to work, where its headquarters will be, uh, what its title is going to be. If there's a new logo, if there's um, various other things that have to change, uh, we can't bind that new authority. But what we can do is make very strong recommendations to it that this was the winning proposal. You know, these are the things that we want to see in place.
1: So, would your recommendation be to whoever is on that new authority, whoever leads that new authority that to retain for example, the headquarters at county hall in North Allerton?
2: That would be my recommendation, uh, but it's not um, it's about having a headquarters somewhere uh, but also remembering that decisions aren't necessarily made at headquarters you know decisions can also be made at local level, and one of the points that we made in our uh, proposal was the fact that we would guarantee that there would be main offices in every part of the county and there would also be local offices as well and presently we have a lot of officers and a lot of staff working across the whole 3,000 square miles of North Yorkshire and decisions are often made in local offices by local managers employing local people who are actually getting out there and delivering the services down your street and actually sometimes into your house
1: mm-hmm. so talk to me a bit then we've we, we, you've touched on you know the futures of the new authority in terms of what even what, down to what it might be called are unknown. Something that has been you, you know mooted again and again is the prospect potentially of this leading to greater devolved powers in North Yorkshire, similar to what we've seen in West Yorkshire of course. You know, we saw the election of the first metro mayor in North, in West Yorkshire earlier this year with Tracy Braben and in Manchester with Andy Burnham. What what would you like to see happen going forward in terms of making sure that North Yorkshire has a voice on the national stage?
2: Well, it's it's interesting that you mentioned two um, metro mayors um, who are representing. Um, areas which are uh, very large um, in terms of population, you know, Greater Manchester and um, now West Yorkshire. Um, I look at something closer to hand um, just north of us, which is the Tees Valley Combined Authority, and that's chaired by uh, Ben Houchen. And I see how Ben has um, revitalised the, uh, the, the, the Tees Valley, um, and he's doing some very, very um, excellent things with the economy um, and with the social matters in, in, in the Tees Valley. And I would like to think that we could have somebody with an equally strong voice for York and North Yorkshire. So when we started this process some time ago, and let's remember the whole principle of LGR, Local Government Reorganisation, um, was about allowing us to deliver devolution. And part of that devolution was the fact that we'd have a combined authority with an elected mayor. And that strong voice would then be speaking up for York and North Yorkshire in the same way that Mayor Houchen does for Tees Valley. And I think even um, Ben mm-hmm. Houchen's opponents in Tees Valley would recognise the fact that he does deliver and he certainly has the ear of government. And I, I would like to think that um, we would move to an elected mayor position, a combined authority between the new um, new North Yorkshire Council. And I think eventually that, that we are going to have to come up with what the name is going to be. Um, but I would hope that we keep North Yorkshire in that name um, because our research in developing our proposal said that people identified very strongly with North Yorkshire and especially businesses identified. They, they'd like to be able to say, you know, we brew beer in Massam in North Yorkshire. It, it was a good brand that is recognised. Yeah, yeah. uh, I, I think we can fairly say it's recognised globally. Um, North Yorkshire certainly recognised um, yeah. nationally. So, um, I would like to th- to think that we will have that um, elected mayoral role in the future, speaking up very strongly and getting devolution, not just extra money into York and North Yorkshire, although there is a a pot of money called gain share um, which the mayor um, actually gets to spend uh, but also getting decision making in more closer to the uh, to the people in in York and North Yorkshire
1: and you know obviously we're, we're talking this is go, this is some way ahead now we're talking it's going to be 2023 before the new authority comes to power if i'm right what what are the immediate challenges before that point we've we've just heard for example for a landmark report from the rural commission into the challenges in north yorkshire one of the ones that they've pointed out is the number of young people who are, are born and grow up in the region but choose to move elsewhere for better career opportunities. What can we do in the short term to safeguard North Yorkshire and, and, and make it an attractive place to live and work?
2: Well, we've, we've had the decision about LGR, but actually that doesn't stop business as usual. We've had the pandemic, but that doesn't stop business as usual. I mean, both these things will have an impact on business as usual. As we go forward, and you're right, the new authority doesn't come into being until 1st of April 2023. But we've got to progress towards that point, and we've got to carry on delivering the services that we're doing now. You know, our young people um, expect it. Our elderly people deserve it. We've got to keep maintaining the roads. We've got to carry on doing some road improvements. We need broadband um, improvements across the, uh, the county. I think we've got a good track record to, to date with the amount of investment we've made into broadband, but it's not enough. We need to keep on on going with it. You know, We need to get people up to gigabit speeds mm. um, now, not just uh, super fast um, broadband. Um, and of course, the, the other um, business as usual, which is taking over now, is, um, is climate change. And we've got to be... Uh, uh, prepare for that. We've set an aspiration that we want to be net zero by 2030. So all these things have got to uh, got to happen. We need to carry on working with those um, priorities. And they're not conflicting priorities. There's, we have numerous priorities that we're, we're actually on with. Um, and we have to have this eye on the fact that we are starting to move towards a new way of working in local government. Um, so it's a challenge, and I've reached out to the district council leaders. I, I had my first meeting with one district council leader uh, on Monday. I've got another one tomorrow. I've got uh, meetings next next week. You know, so we we do need to work together to, as I say, to have the smoothest possible transition to the new authority. And it's very useful that you mentioned the rural commission, Vic, uh, because. You know, that was a piece of innovative thinking. I'd like to think of it like that, that we uh, we set up the Rural Commission. We supported it, but it is independent of the County Council. And we knew it would come up with some challenges. And it has come up with some challenges. And we're now starting to work through their recommendations um, to see how we can deliver um, those, uh, some as quickly as possible, and others may take a, a bit more time and may involve other partners not just the uh, the county council but the things that they mentioned in there um, are very important to us and you mentioned that uh, issue about uh, young people well yes i think we'd like to get to a situation where young young people will there'll always be a, a number of young people who want to move out of the county where they were born and brought up for whatever reason i'd like to think that we could get to a situation where they move out of the county for choice not because there's no opportunity here and so that therefore they feel that they have to move out of the county um to further their careers
1: Mm. Mm, of course now something in my remit at the paper of social as social affairs correspondent is to particularly shine a light on issues of social deprivation North Yorkshire has a real reputation for being, you know, a bucolic landscape, idyllic with, you know, you've got the the moors and the dales and and beautiful little market towns and picture-perfect villages. But there are pockets of deprivation across the county where we have people living in really difficult conditions. What is the council doing particularly, you know, as we move towards recovery from the pandemic to ensure that people living in social deprivation you know, have everything they need to be able to thrive and improve their living conditions.
2: Well, I I would hope that the answer to that is that we're doing uh, we're doing a lot. Um, and you're right. I mean, there are pockets of deprivation in the county. Um, you can find them in, on the coast, and you can find them um, uh, around the uh, one that I know particularly well because I used to represent uh, that area is is, is near to Catrick Garrison. But also there's individual pockets of deprivation, isolation in some of our rural villages, even in some of our towns. You know, if you don't talk to people who live next door to you, then, you know, you can equally be isolated uh, from society. So I think we've got a good track record. And I think one thing that's come out of the pandemic, if there is a positive that's come out of the pandemic, is the community spirit that we've been able to work with um and the teams that we put together under our banner of stronger communities which has then worked with community support organisations that can be large or can be actually very small and i think we have shone a, a light on these issues of uh, of deprivation and of course one of the biggest things we can do uh, to overcome deprivation is to make sure that our economy is as strong as it can be. We're working very closely with our local enterprise partnership um, on helping to strengthen our economy.
1: Absolutely. Um, Last question before we move on to talking a little bit about you um, and your journey to where you've got to, Carl. Um, We've mentioned uh, about your uh, hope that North Yorkshire and York will one day soon have its own mayor as a voice for the region. Is that something you'd consider putting your own hat in the ring for?
2: Um, if you'd asked me that question 20 years ago, I'd have said uh, probably yes, I'd certainly consider it. Um, I'm 20 years older than uh, than that time now. Um, and I look at Ben Houchen, I, I look at uh, Tracy and... Um, Andy sorry sorry i forgot Andy's name then how could i forget Andy burnham um i mean one one feature that you see in all the elected mayors around the country at the moment is that they're all very very energetic and i just wonder whether i would have the energy uh, to do that at the moment you know, I, I think i'm coming towards the uh, the end uh, of a useful life rather than uh, being in the middle of it so I've I've said publicly it, it's not something that I would be uh, putting my name forward to. I'm very I'm very happy to be the leader of North Yorkshire County Council.
1: Absolutely. Well, I mean, I I would say you're doing um, a marvelous job. If you if you if you're in, in, if you're saying you're not being as much energy as you used to as you used to do, you're doing a marvelous job at showing otherwise. <laughs> so. <laughs> Thank um, you. So we'll talk a little, um, we'll talk a little bit Carl, then kind of moving on from that I guess talking a little bit more about you know yourself and your journey up to being the leader of North Yorkshire County Council. Um so my understanding is you you, you know you you've you were a successful businessman in Leeming isn't it near Northallerton
2: Leeming Bar Well Leeming first Le- and then Leeming Bar.
1: Leeming Bar. And and what attracted you from that point into local politics?
2: Uh, it was almost by accident. Um, we had a planning application that was going in at the time, um, which didn't actually come to fulfilment until sort of 30 years later. Um, when when they first started talking about uh, mo- building a motorway on the A1 rather than the trunk road, uh, my parents had set up a very successful um, business on the side of the A1. Um, and I inherited it in 1988, when sadly, both of them died um, uh, within a short uh, period of time uh, from each other. Um, I mean, my, my father was Polish, came to this country at the start of the war. Um, and uh, quite a remarkable uh, story that he had in escaping from the Germans and getting to this country. And then um, he stayed in this country, met my mother, who was English, and they married. Um, and my grandmother found them a small business in leeming village um it was called jock's cafe at the time uh but they renamed they bought it renamed it leeming cafe and it was a it was a lovely little business it was a gold mine um you know on the side of the old day one people hadn't travelled in all the war years they started to travel again um and we made a lot of money then the bypass was announced um around the three villages of Leeming Bar, Leaming, and Londonderry and my dad decided he would try and build a business on the bypass which he got permission for so he did and then in nineteen after 1988 it was announced, I think 1991 was the first time, it was announced that there was going to be um, a motorway from London to Newcastle so the A1 in our part of the world was going to become the A1M so I decided I would like mm. to turn our trunk road service area which was a cafe motel shop and filling station into a proper motorway service area so i went and talked to the um, local council about it hambleton district council and i kept going to meetings where they were talking about um, the future of um, of roadside businesses in hambleton etc and i realized that actually i knew a lot of the councillors um and, you know i'd lived in that part of the world all my life so i'd grown up with some of them Um, And so I sort of had conversations with them and chatted with them and thought, well, this this sounds quite an interesting activity that they're doing, but never thought about standing myself. And then one day, having left, um, it it was actually a Britain in Bloom award that the council had put on, and I went down because none of my management team actually wanted to go to it. They said, oh, that's much more your scene, uh, boss, you go to that. Um, So off I went, and as I walked out, um, I walked out with a, a lady who said, um, have you ever thought about standing for council? And I said, no, never. Um, and she said, oh, she said, we, we need younger people. I mean, younger people. I was I was 40 years old at the time. And she said, we need younger people to, to stand. Um, will you consider it? And I said, well, you don't know what my politics are. And she said, well, you're successful in business. I think you're probably one of us. But actually, I've got... Um, I've only got five opposition seats here. So even if you weren't, it wouldn't matter much. Um, so, you know, think about it. Well, the following day, the Conservative agent rang me and said, I understand from the leader of the council, you're going to stand at the next election. So I'm coming round to sign you up. And that was it. So I I was elected to Humbleton District Council in 1997. Um, and quite enjoyed myself um, at, at you know learning a new um, a new set of skills, and then two years later it was the county council election, and I'd said you know did did anybody want me to stand for the county council? I was quite interested. I'd been doing some work with um, officers from the county council on a project called the Yorkshire Pantry, which is about food and drink retailers in North Yorkshire, and I quite enjoyed their company and uh, the things that they were doing. Um, and so I was recruited to stand for Caterick, um, and it was a Lib Dem seat, and they actually thought I might get the result a bit closer. Well, actually, I won it, and I've kept on winning it you know, ever since. So, uh, so in 1999, um, I joined a very small club that day, which was New Conservative Winners, because that was the day of the Tony Blair national election landslide. Uh, and I said to, uh, yeah. to the people who'd been out helping me, I said, I'm not even going to go to the count, I'm going to get dropped, you know, the Tory party's been wiped out. Anyway, I thought, well, because people had voted for me, it's only right that I should go and, you know, stand there and lose and then lose gracefully, but actually I won. So then I just got involved with the county council and I was invited to... Uh, joined the uh, executive of the county council a year later, purely because um, one of the older members of the county council had got um, a cancer, um, which had to, he had to have an operation for cancer, and he was going to be off for a year. So two of us were asked to carry out his duties for that year. And then I just stayed on the executive after that. I was deputy leader to John Wheel for a number of years um, and then stood five years ago for leader.
1: And obviously, you know, over the past six six is twenty fifteen, wasn't it that you yes. were you you became yes, it's, leader? It's so. now six
2: years, yeah. not
1: five. Um, we've seen massive changes, you know, not least first of all through the referendum and and all the division that that brought. But then, of course, since the start of last year, you know, with the, with the pandemic, it's been a, 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 it must have been beyond your wildest imagination that this was sort of the sort of response that you've had to provide over the past 18 months or so, that when you stood to be leader of the council, that you'd be faced with something like this. I don't want to put words into your mouth, but has that been your biggest challenge as leader, managing the response to the pandemic? Or is there another instance that you can think about?
2: I, it, it's hard to um, It's hard to define what is... Um, a bigger challenge are uh, you know, that, that they've all been challenges i think perhaps the pandemic and i think we've been we've been fortunate in north yorkshire in as much as um our communities i think for once sparsity has worked in our favor so that um you know we haven't had the same rates of transmission that more mm-hmm. populous areas around us like middlesbrough or bradford you know that they've had uh, very large rates of transmission because um, people do live in very close mm-hmm. confinement to each other and we've had we've had that space in north yorkshire mm-hmm. so we've been fortunate in that respect but i think it's no no denying that the impact of the pandemic has been the greatest um, challenge uh, to us all you know people families have lost um, loved ones I and mean, we've had over a thousand deaths um, in north yorkshire um, which is probably a small number compared to other areas, but you know every death is a tragedy for for somebody. Um, so families have lost loved ones, um, colleagues have lost people at work. Um, so the the impact has been huge, but equally, you know, as I said, one of the benefits that has come out of the pandemic, if there is a benefit, is the community spirit um, and the way that we have all rallied around, the way that staff in in all uh, councils, not just the county council, in all councils, have, they've gone beyond the call of duty. The partnership working has been absolutely fantastic. The NHS has been brilliant, um, but also businesses have stepped up to the mark. You know, people who were making gin started making um, uh, uh, disinfectants and, and the like, um, you know, people have helped out by making sure that next door neighbors did get a food parcel. I mean, I even got my medicine delivered one day. I didn't need it delivering, but you know, a volunteer came and delivered me some medicine from the, uh, from the chemist. Um, So there's been a fantastic community spirit that has enabled us to actually cope with the pandemic, but there's no doubt. I mean, that has been a huge impact, but then there are other impacts as well that can, you know, we've got to get the economy um, strong. Um, we, I mean, I think what Rishi Sunak has done as Chancellor with the furlough schemes and the like has been absolutely brilliant. And, you know, it would have helped save my business if I'd still been in business. I retired from business six years ago. Um, but it would have really helped um, my business to survive. Um, so... we're coming through it we've now got to make sure that um, our businesses grow again
1: Mm, i hope you don't mind me asking carl but as a gentleman of a of a certain age it, it must have been challenging you know leading the council through you know help coordinating to help coordinate the regional response to the pandemic whilst you know you've just touched on that with having medicine delivered at the same time your own worries and fears about the virus how how did you cope with that
2: with with some difficulty i mean i I actually thought the lockdown was the right thing to do um and you'll know um that the county council still um is not holding many face to face meetings um uh, because we are trying to reduce the opportunity for transmission as as, as much as possible um I actually quite um, I quite welcomed the way that we worked during the lockdown. Um, you know, I said to somebody not so long ago. You know, this morning I was at a meeting in Skipton. This afternoon um, I'm going to a meeting in Scarborough, um, and then later on I've got a meeting in London. And I'm doing all that without leaving the house. I could never have done that before. Mm-hmm. You know, so in terms of productivity of meetings, um, it's it's been a a boon to do that. And, of course, we've also saved a lot of money um, on travelling costs and a lot of carbon, which is, is one of the new considerations now. Um, but, you know, you, you do miss face-to-face um, contact, but also we've got to be cautious, and I, I am cautious. Um, I, w- I would hope to think that that's my nature, you know, that I, I'm prudent and cautious um, in in what I do.
1: Um, and obviously, you know, we're now nine months, I think, into the into the mass vaccination effort. Um, I am assuming you've had both your vaccines. Where did you yes. have them?
2: Yeah, and because of my uh, my age and the fact that I am type two diabetic, although with diet and exercise, we've managed to uh, get me back to almost pre diabetic status, which um, I'm very pleased about um but um you know i will be up for my booster job um, and i've always had the flu job for the last 10 years i, th- I think the vac- vaccination pro- program has been an absolute um, success story um, and i think those people who've been involved in it at whatever level should be heartily congratulated on getting it done
1: I had my own, um, in fact, both vaccines actually at the um, Mass Vaccination Centre at Asken Bar in York uh, run by Nimbus Care. And it was absolutely faultless the whole way through. Um, so um would encourage anyone listening who's not already gone and booked for their vaccinations to make sure that they get them if they're eligible. Um, we've touched on already, Carl, that you've got something as well of a fascinating family history. Um, <laughs> now, I understand from what you've said that your dad made something of a great escape almost from the Nazis back at the start of the war. Um, I think listeners of own Country would love to hear a bit more about uh, your dad's uh, nerve and, and, and bravery in managing to make it over to Britain at what was such a, a treacherous time.
2: Yeah. Um, well, I mean, he was he was born and brought up in, in in poland he did his national service um and then just before the second world war started all the uh, all the reservists were called up again because they knew that there was likely to be a war um and he was a sergeant um in the in the army in the tank uh, corps they eventually became sergeant major but um, he was certainly uh, he was in charge of a few men at the start and as he said, um, on the first of September, the Germans invaded. Um, his troop advanced a um, hundred yards to meet them, got hammered by them, and then started uh, retreating. After that, and eventually, they became captured by the uh, by the advancing German troops, and they were put into a, a field which was surrounded by barbed wire um, fence. Um, And they were sitting there quite dejected because, you know, their country had been invaded. They'd had a battle, they'd lost it. So they wondered what was happening next. A German officer came uh, with his big black Mercedes staff car and he got out, um, started walking around the the field looking at all these dejected poles. And his driver stood by the car and lit up a cigarette and was just sort of waiting for his uh, officer to come back. So my dad said to three of his colleagues, "Come on, let's go." So they they hit the uh, the driver over the head, jumped in the car and drove out of the gates, and off they went. So that and then they did a journey from Poland into Czechoslovakia, into Romania, Bulgaria, uh, Yugoslavia, Italy. They, they they swapped the car in Czechoslovakia with a doctor, and he gave them his Fiat some new, some spare tires and some extra petrol um, so they could go further than the, than they might have got in their big black Mercedes staff car. My dad always said he wondered what happened to that, that doctor when the Germans took that part of Czechoslovakia and found the doctor driving around in a German staff car. Uh, but anyway, they, they escaped and they made it. They were, they were heading um, to Spain because they knew that if they could get to Spain, Spain was still a neutral country and they would um, be interned in Spain. And as they were going through the south of France, heading to Spain, somebody told them, and these are four Poles who, between them, could speak Polish very well, a little bit of German, and a little bit of Russian. But that that was the only languages they spoke. And somebody in France told them that there was a British destroyer in the harbour at St. Jean de Luce fishing port, just south of Biarritz. So instead of going to Spain, they went to Saint Jean de Luz and managed to persuade this uh, destroyer captain that they were all-round good eggs and they should be allowed to get on the ship and go go back to England with him. Um, and this was at the time when the English press would be running stories about Germans parachuting into um, England dressed as nuns. Um, you know, so how on earth they managed to persuade? this destroyer captain, that they were bona fide refugees from the Polish army. Anyway, they did, and they got to Southampton, and then they were sent up to Scotland, where the Polish army in waiting was starting to be formed, Um, and they moved from... uh, It was um, Crawford on the side of the uh, A74, um, where they lived for uh, that winter in tents, Um, And then they moved to Blair um, in outside St. Andrews. And my dad always said that he went to St. Andrews University. Well, he did, but um, only because the classrooms were empty because all the students were away um, in the RAF and the Navy (laughs) and the Army. Um, So they were educated in – they learnt a bit of English. They were educated in tactics. um, Mm -hmm. And they guarded the coastline at St. Andrews where there was 300 Poles And they had three rifles between 300 and they passed the rifles up and down the line all night so that every soldier could say that he'd held the rifle um, overnight. Then they moved south to Duns um, and that's where they got their uh, tanks, uh, Sherman battle tank. And they started to train with the tanks, knowing that eventually there would be an invasion of Europe and they would be going back uh, to fight in Europe rather than... Mm -hmm just staying in uh, in Britain. And um, my dad, uh, they would get weekend passes. And although they, Duns is actually nearer to Edinburgh than Newcastle, it was easier to get to Newcastle mm. from Duns. And one of my mother's maiden aunts had a market garden on the outskirts of Newcastle, and she used to keep open house for um, foreign soldiers, sailors and airmen and they could go and get a cup of tea and a sandwich um, there if they were on leave in Newcastle. And my mother, as one of the female members of the family, was told that they had to go and help out um, at this aunt's house. So they did, and my mum and dad met. Um, and then they were, my mother was living at Bamborough at the time, in a small hotel that my grandparents owned. Um, so it was quite easy for my dad to get from Dunns to Bamborough, so they started courting. Um, and then, come the end of the war, um, you know, after my dad had actually been involved in the invasion and then fighting up through France, Belgium, Holland, and Germany, he then came back to um, to England after the war and decided, um, I think by that time my mum and dad had decided they were going to get married. Um, and. Every Polish soldier who was attached to the Canadian First Army um, at D-Day was entitled, automatically entitled, to have Canadian citizenship. So my father was talking about going to Canada to start a new life. He didn't want to go back to Poland because by then the communist um, government had taken over, um, and the Russians were in mm-hmm. occupation. So he said, "Let's go to um, to Canada." Um, before the war, he'd been a, a bus driver and lorry driver. So he, he would said we'll start a haulage business in Canada. My grandmother was concerned. My grandmother at this time, had, they'd moved from Banborough to the Cow and Calf Hotel on Ilkley Moor. Um, and she was concerned that she was losing her eldest daughter um, across the sea to Canada. She'd kept all her business um, contacts on Tyneside, and she was driving from the Cow and Calf to go and see the accountant in Newcastle and drove through Leeming Village, where she saw a man standing on a wooden box, knocking a nail in a wall, and hanging up a painted sign saying, For Sale. So she stopped and got talking to him, and this was the eponymous Jock, and Jock had decided he was going to sell his business after the war. He'd made a small fortune after doing egg and chip suppers for the uh, Air Force at R.E.F. Leeming. He opened at five and closed at six and did 250 egg and chip suppers every night. So he decided he was going to retire. He was selling his business. So my grandmother turned the car around and went straight back to Ilkley, where my dad was working in the cow and calf um, hotel, and said, don't go to Canada. Come and have a look at this place. I think it will be a gold mine. Um, why don't you buy it? Um, and my grandmother was a very sta- staunch Methodist. And she, um, she had good contacts with the Wesleyan Building Society, and she persuaded the Wesleyan Building Society to give my mum and dad a mortgage to buy Lehman, uh, Jocks Cafe, which we renamed Lehman Cafe. And they did. And she was so right. It was a gold mine. Less than two years later, they paid the mortgage off. It was a cracking business. And that's where I first started work. Five years old, I would help my grandma working in the little shop that we attached to the cafe. And then I used to make sandwiches in the cafe and uh, help out sweeping up and whatever. And then we moved to uh, the motel at Lehman in, in 1961.
1: It's, it sounds like, you know, you're incredibly proud of, of well, both of your parents, but if, of your your dad in terms of, you know, everything that he had to do to get over here and then in, in building up the business. What do you think he'd make, make now of you, you know, rising to be one of the most, you know, having one of the highest levels of, of local government in North Yorkshire, what what do you think he would have made of it?
2: I think he would probably have uh, recognised that in his eyes, I would probably have have done better outside the family business than inside the family business, Uh, because we were very much like young bull and old bull, and we would frequently lock horns uh, about it and have real family rows about it. And I think your question was, you know, am I proud of my father and my my mother? I think I am, and I think I realize I'm more proud of them now, later on, than I was at the time. And I I regret that, you know, I I could have been, um, I could have been kinder um, to my parents and their achievements at the time. But my dad used to say things to me, you know, I'd I'd go to him and say, uh, we need a new carpet in the restaurant and he would just look at me and say any fool can spend money <laughs> and um you know then a couple of weeks later he'd say um i've been thinking um, i think we need a new carpet in the restaurant <laughs> so but
1: uh, and you just have yeah. to sort of nod and smile and pretend that you hadn't pointed that out <laughs> two weeks ago so oh, it's 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 a wonderful story um and Sounds like you could, make, you could make a book and a movie out of your dad's journey. I,
2: I, I wish he'd written it down, because actually what, what we did in 1968, um, until 1967, he was still classified as a deserter from the Polish army. Not, not just him, I mean, along with anybody else who hadn't gone back at the end of the war. So if he had gone back to Poland, he would have been arrested. In 1967, the government realised that there was a lot of expat Poles living around the world who had been very successful. And if they allowed them to come back, then they would want to come back and they would want to come back and spend money in Poland. Um, So they changed the law. So in 1968, we went back to visit his family for the first time um, since he'd left in 1939. Um, By that time, his mother had died. You know, So we had to go to the, the family grave in the little town where he lived. Mm. Um, but we met cousins and uncles and aunts and all sorts. But we also did, more or less, the journey that he did in 1939. And even in 1968, in a modern car with plenty of money, um, filling stations every 10 miles on main roads and like, it was still a difficult journey to make. So how on earth they managed to do it so successfully in 1939, I, I don't know. And I really do wish he'd had actually had written the, the story down because I'm only remembering snippets of it now. And we've got one or two photographs. Somehow they managed to take photographs on en route. Um, you know. I think somebody must have taken it for them. Um, but an incredible journey, and I just wish we had a, a more detailed record about it.
1: And obviously, you know he, he chose to make Yorkshire his home for the rest of his life, and 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 you've stayed. But it's not just on North Yorkshire County Council, is it, Carl? That you've um, you know that you, you've been involved in. I'm, I'm, my understanding is over the past couple of years, you've also moved on to Welcome to Yorkshire onto the board there, um, as one of the uh, the board members. Now, obviously, Welcome to Yorkshire's had. Something of a of a, a a checkered few years in terms of its fortunes. Um, what what made you want to get involved in making sure that it, you know, well, its fortunes go on the up again?
2: Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been involved with um, a tourism promotion um, business ever since it was set up in nineteen seventy four. It was actually set up by the county council um, in offices mm. that the county council owned in York. Um, we joined as a member hotel in maybe 1975, not quite at the the very start, but been involved in that organisation, the Yorkshire Tourist Board, uh, for a number of years. Then actually um, stood as a private sector member of the and got on to uh, one of the committees um, and worked with Sir Thomas Ingleby um, on the marketing and promotions, um, marketing and operations uh, subcommittee Um, And then actually became a board member as a councillor in the old tourist board days. And then it became Welcome to Yorkshire when Yorkshire Forward put in six million pounds worth of investment into it. And at that time, then um, I wasn't successful in uh, carrying on on the board. Um, I did apply, but um, I was replaced by somebody else. And then eventually um, another vacancy came off, and I've come back. I mean, I think the tourism, the visitor economy in Yorkshire needs an organisation like Welcome to Yorkshire. Um, you know, the, the successful visitor economies around the, the southwest, uh, especially Scotland, all have you know a Visit Scotland sort of body that's actually doing that very big promotion on a on a world stage. Um, and I think we need um, something like Welcome to Yorkshire to to, to do it. And uh, yes, there has been some severe disappointments um, in um, in part of the working of Welcome to Yorkshire over the years. And I'm very disappointed um, that we've had those uh, disappointments. But it's a new team now, uh, new chief executive, um, new new board. Although I'm I'm, I'm still there. Um, and, and um, there's a there's a couple of us who've been uh, uh, kept on to give some sort of sense of continuity, um, but it is largely new chair, new chief executive, new board, new ideas, but still with the same guiding principle that we need to promote Yorkshire um, outside of Yorkshire, to a certain extent inside Yorkshire as well. I mean, there's a lot of people who uh, locally who don't go for um, even short holidays um, in Yorkshire. And sometimes uh, get a shock when they realise what diverse um, attractions we do have um, on the coast and in the Dales and um, uh, many of our cities as well.
1: Were you shocked when the allegations and the subsequent investigation into what had happened at Welcome to Yorkshire, particularly in regards to the conduct of the former Chief Executive, Sir Gary Verity, when those revelations were made that must have was that shocking
2: it, it very shocking um yeah and there's you know there's no excuse for for bad behavior whether that be um you know, with regard to um dealing with uh, employees or whether it, it's with regard to dealing with uh, financial matters um and you know it, it wouldn't be the first time in my business um career running uh, Leaming Bar, that was very disappointed when somebody um, when you found out that somebody wasn't uh, doing things the, the, the right way. Um, so yes, it it was it was disappointing in the extreme.
1: Now my understanding is North Yorkshire County Council has actually um, lent welcome to Yorkshire some half a million pounds. To uh, you know, keep it floating throughout the pandemic. It's been given till November this year to pay that money back. Is that something you're confident is going to happen Uh,
2: by end of November? Absolutely. I mean, I I think I just need to explain part of our governance arrangements that those decisions with regard to funding um, and providing the loan were not made by myself. I recused myself from those uh, decisions. Mm. And that um, that process was led by um, my deputy, um, Councillor Dad, who actually has the portfolio for finance anyway. Um, so he would have a big say in what we're doing. But when you reckon that the half a million pound loan was secured against a property, which at the last valuation was £850,000 and has just been sold for over a million pounds, you know, there was absolutely no risk to the county council in that respect. Um, and... We also got a rate of interest on that money because we have to charge a commercial rate. We're not allowed to give um, uh, soft loans to organisations. So the the council taxpayer actually got uh, a better return on that half a million pounds than it would have had if we'd just left it sitting in the bank. So there was absolutely no risk, but it was not not my decision.
1: No, of course um and i guess and finally as a you know yorkshireman who um is so invested in the county and also sits on the you know the 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 tourist board for the region to any listeners of podzone country who might be considering a um a weekend away or a short staycation in yorkshire over the next uh, well what remains of what's not been the most bright and hot summer we've had in recent years but you know, um, where would, have you got any recommendations, Carl? Where would you uh, where would you tell people to go? Perhaps a hidden treasure outside of the usual suspects.
2: I've always liked Whitby as a town. My uncle and aunt used to keep a, a yacht there, and would occasionally um, invite us through to go for a um, a, a sail out of the uh, out of the harbour and up and down the coast. Um, so, I mean, the coast is wonderful, but Whit- Whitby is just. Um, Something very special, isn't it? Um, and the dales, you know, I've always liked the dales. I mean, Beedale um, is at at the foot of a dale. You know, we're in Lower Wensterdale, um, and it's very easy just to drive up into the uh, into Wensterdale and pop across into Swaledale. Uh, they're quite remarkable um, places in their in their own right. Um, and closer to home, um, there's there's nothing more pleasant than um, walking round, Thorpe Pero Arboretum. Um, and, uh, you know, e- even in the winter, it's a lovely place to uh, to go. And, um, yeah, that'll be one of my, uh, my hidden gems.
1: Carl, thank you ever so much. Much appreciated. And
0: I'm sure we will be speaking again soon. All okay. the
2: best. Right, bye. Cheers. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Podzone Country. If you have any topics you think we should be covering or any stories you think that we should be digging into, please get in touch with me over email on caitlin.doherty at jpress.co.uk. I'll speak to you next week.